0: Good morning. Oh, I have not preached in a long time, but here I am. My name is Dana, and um, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. I uh, I haven't been preaching because we have been working hard to get the children's ministry up off the ground, but they are smooth sailing down there. Every week I like go down, I sneak in by the classrooms and peek in the window and see if anybody needs me for anything, and they don't. So now I'm going to preach again. <laughs> um, I want to tell you a little story. When I was eight years old, Uh, my Aunt Cindy moved into our house for about six months. She was new to the city, and uh, so she stayed with us. That's my Aunt Cindy and me. And they used to have these great big dolls that had a full-on tape deck in the back so you could play the tape deck, the mouth would move. Anyway, that thing is creepy, but uh, (laughs) that's my Aunt Cindy. And she was quite a bit younger than my parents, and it was so cool to have her in my house because she was so cool, right? She had a cat, so that was awesome, and she was allowed to have her own television right in her bedroom, which I had never heard of before, and she had this fabulous yellow scarf. That was my favorite piece of her clothing, and I used to beg her to wear it. She never let me, and then one morning, she finally gave in and let me borrow the yellow scarf for the day. Remember that I was eight years old, and so I wore it to school, and I don't know if you can guess where the story is going to go, but I absolutely lost it at recess. Now, 30 years later, like that was 30 years ago that that happened, I still remember that day. I remember that day so clearly because I felt awful. Awful. I was so embarrassed that I lost it and I was so scared of what she was going to say and I spent the whole day trying to figure out was there any way that I could get out of having to tell Cindy that I lost her scarf? Try to get out of what happened. This is from um, Christmas in 2013 when I finally replaced the scarf for her. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's not that big of a deal, losing a scarf, is it? That's, that's nothing. But I have always remembered that feeling. I feel that exact same way whenever I've had to come clean about something I did wrong. Why do you think, why is confession so hard for us? We're halfway through our message series Um, in the Psalms, and we've been exploring what it means to be honest together. And we've talked about honest thanksgiving, an honest expression of need, an honest perspective in our lives, and today we're going to talk about honest confession. The Psalms are powerful because they have so much to say about all of the emotions that make up the human experience. They capture, and this is in the words of one of our small group leaders. She said this to me this week. They, it feels, Reading the Psalms feels like the ebb and flow of the tide, like the human experience of faith. is like the ebb and flow of the tide that's pushing and pulling on your legs when you stand in the ocean. I thought that was beautiful. And the Psalms have a lot to say about confession. We're going to look at Psalm 32 today, which is printed in your bulletin, in the bulletin insert, I think. You Tell me if that's true. If not, I'll just read it. Um, but there are five, oh, maybe it's not. Okay. There are five stanzas. That's all right. I'm going to read it for you. And we're going to look at each one in turn and see what it has to say about honest confession. So let me just read, I'll read this first paragraph for you. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Isn't that beautiful? Blessed is the one. Blessed means holy or consecrated, it means to be endowed or covered with divine favor. And it's central to the Christian faith that people are forgiven that their sins are forgiven. We believe that that is divine favor, that it's holy that our sins are covered over. And that's at the very heart of what we believe, that we have committed transgressions and sins. And I don't mean simple mistakes, right? It's not like losing a scarf. That's a mistake. But we've really done some awful things that were our fault and we should be held to account for. Those are real. But the blessing, the celebration, the gift is that God has forgiven them. He's covered them. He doesn't count them against us. That's an incredible reality. We sing about that in worship. We we worship God for it. We praise him. And I appreciate that the psalmist, the author of this psalm, he starts off that way. He starts off with this declaration of ultimate truth. That is worthy of celebration. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Some Bibles even translate the word blessed as happy instead. Happy is the one. And that makes sense too. Right? We are happy that our sins are forgiven. So, if our sins are covered and we know that we are forgiven, if it's such a happy and blessed truth, then... Why is confession so hard? I'm going to read the next couple of verses for you. The psalmist says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The author paints, he paints this really visceral picture of what it feels like in our bodies to have something weighing on us that we haven't confessed. Part of the reason that confession is so hard is because sin feels so terrible. Just awful. Have you been in that situation where you are fully aware of what you did and then you're just sitting with it? The psalmist says it feels like his bones are wasting away inside him, like God's hand was pressing down on him, like all his energy is sucked out, like on a really hot day. That's powerful imagery. What does it feel like to you when you know you've done something wrong? I remember once when I was a missionary and I was invited to make a presentation to the missions committee of my church. And they met at 1215 Sharp over everybody's lunch hour. They were all business guys. And um, they had never, ever invited anyone to speak to them before. <laughs> I'm not like advocating for that uh, philosophy of running a missions committee I think you need to meet the missionaries but um, I want to say it to you because what's important is that I was literally the first person that they had ever invited to come and make a presentation and so I had a full morning of normal meetings and then at lunchtime I made a sandwich and chatted with my housemate and started getting ready for the afternoon and I was putting my laptop in my bag when I remembered about the missions committee that's right. Bill knows that feels like. <laughs> right. Terrible. I looked at the clock. It was 12.45. I live 15 minutes away. It was way too late to go. I sat down on the floor and closed my eyes, and my stomach nodded, and I just felt like this blanket of shame cover me, right? Because there was no excuse. I knew what day it was. It was in my planner. I was prepared for it. I was looking forward to going, and I missed it. And there were going to be consequences for that because John, who chaired the committee, had gone out on a limb to get me invited, and now I had embarrassed him in front of his team. And the chances of them ever trying that again, extending an invitation, done, right? I wanted to crawl into a hole. (laughs) So what I did was I spent 60 seconds on the floor, and you know what I was doing? I was calling to mind This big truth from the start of the psalm. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Not those particular words, right? But I was reminding myself that I was loved and forgiven by God. And that was true no matter how the next few minutes played out. And then I made a choice. I picked up the phone. I called the church. I had the secretary interrupt the meeting. I got John on the phone and apologized. And eventually we were okay. Um, Not right away. Uh, But the choice I made is the same one that the psalmist makes, the same one that he describes in verse 5. It's so important because up until now, what has characterized his journey is deceit and silence and covering up, covering up iniquity. That's what we do, isn't it? We believe sin makes us unworthy, and we get so embarrassed that we want to do anything we can to get away from that feeling. And so we deny our actions, or we kind of twist the truth to make it a little bit different, or we justify what we did, or we try to just ignore it, and maybe everybody else will ignore it too, just pretend it didn't happen until we're able to gather up our courage and make this choice. We choose to speak instead of stay silent. We choose confession instead of the cover-up. Because The opposite of silence is to speak or to talk. That's an essential part of confession. <laughs> right? You have to talk. It's important to do it quietly in your heart, let God know, but... It's also important to speak up. Someone needs to hear you. And the great news in the psalm at the end of verse 5 is that you forgave the guilt of my sin. So the thing that was true at the beginning of the psalm in theory, blessed is the one, it's somebody else, now becomes a lived personal experience. You forgave the guilt of my sin. That's very personal. He owns that now. So I'll read the next few verses. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. This is an exhortation or like a command to the godly to pray. And in the context of this psalm, I think it's okay for us to assume he specifically means pray prayers of confession. That's a call for us, for you and I. Pray and confess to God while you can. Why would we do that when it feels so terrible, right? We do it because he says that confession lifts you out of harm's way. As the waters are coming up, they won't reach you anymore. God is the hiding place. He's your protection. He surrounds you and delivers you. So many ways that God says he will keep you safe when you confess your sin. And we need to know that because confession feels so vulnerable. Sometimes it can feel like you're actually going to die. It feels so vulnerable. But in the kingdom of God, that is the path to safety. Jesus taught that. right? There are so many examples in the Gospels of Jesus inviting people to tell the truth about themselves about what they'd done, where they had fallen short. And every time, every single time, that is their path to life. He is so eager to forgive. He's so eager to embrace, to cover sin, to lift us up out of harm's way. And confession is critical to receiving that. Back when I was working as a campus missionary, there was... um, this was a long time ago, some sexual sin that came to light in our team. I want to be clear for the sake of everyone's reputations that no one was raped or assaulted. It wasn't that kind of thing. Um, But there were some pornography addictions that were affecting marriages, and that's really serious. And so for 18 months, our team leaders put us into small accountability groups. And my group was four women. This is three of them from last year when I was home. Um, and the four of us we met every single Friday afternoon for three hours for confession, and we had some material that we used to help us identify patterns of sin, and we'd sit down together and you know for example, if it was my turn to start i would just I would just tell them I would confess to them what I had done that week in like excruciating detail um, and then I would pray and confess it to God, and they would read scripture about it, and they would pray over me, and they would speak God's forgiveness back to me, and then they would help me make a plan to either make amends or make sure that didn't happen again. It was really powerful. Doesn't it sound awful? <laughs> yeah, some people are squirming, I know, and some of you are concerned for me that maybe that was some kind of cause. It wasn't. It wasn't. We weren't forced to do it. It wasn't like a requirement of my job or anything like that. We were invited and we chose to do it because we wanted to take the opportunity to confront sin head on as a community. But it did feel awful. It felt awful every single week and I would want to throw up. Because making a list, like making a list in my journal of the things I was going to confess out loud to my friends around the table was terrifying. And I kind of thought, like when we started, I thought that would get better over time. It would start to be easier. It did not. (laughs) It just kept on being terrifying every time. I'm telling you about it because as awful as it felt, that was also the single most significant thing that I have ever done in my spiritual formation. It absolutely changed my understanding of the gospel. Because I think up until then, my basic understanding of the gospel was, I used to be really sinful back then. And then I learned that Jesus died for my sins. I confessed my sins to him. He forgave my sins. And now I am much less sinful. Isn't that what we think? Well, that's kind of what you think, isn't it? Okay, well that's sort of what I thought. I'm supposed to be better now. I'm supposed to be way less sinful now because I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something. It is not like that. It's not like that. Not even close. Christians are not less sinful than anybody else. We are not better people. We are so full. Myself included. We're so full of lies, of deceit, uh, so full of lust, of greed. We are selfish and vengeful and bitter and petty and lazy, right? If you really take a look inside our hearts, mine included, it's awful. But in this little accountability group, we started to realize something. Sin was losing its power. All those terrible things were losing their power. Now, don't misunderstand me. We were not getting less sinful. Okay? We weren't. We did sometimes get a handle on particular patterns or make some steps and overcome something, and that was brilliant. But something else would just roll right in and take its place. We were not less sinful. But sin was losing power because every time we confessed and prayed and heard God's word read aloud, as we learned to honestly confess and really receive the forgiveness of God, we were cutting off sin's power to shame us. We were cutting off its power to divide us cutting off its capacity to make us suspicious of one another or hate each other. I didn't have to hide my sin and desperately work to make sure no one would find out. I didn't have to twist the truth. I didn't have to feel ashamed around my friends. You know why? They already knew. (laughs) They knew these terrible things. They had already heard my confession in the presence of God and forgiven me. And that's a game changer. You guys, I am telling you that this right here is the power in our faith. Not that sin disappears, but that it has no power over you when you confess and receive forgiveness. The power in our faith is not that sin disappears, but that it has no power over you. When you confess and receive forgiveness, think about what that would mean. If you didn't have to worry about being found out, if you didn't feel ashamed, if you knew there was nothing you could do, nothing you could even say that would separate you from the love of God and the love of your sisters and brothers in Christ. That's what confession and forgiveness does in a massive, eternal way with God It makes that reality true, and in a concrete, daily way between us. And so the psalm ends with this author, who is a trusted person, experienced in the faith, telling us what we should do, or rather, what we should not do. And it's quite funny. He says, do not be like the horse and the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come to you. Isn't that great? Don't be like a mule. It's like he's actually met us. Don't be stubborn. Don't be so stubborn. Don't resist temptation or keep trying to avoid it. Instead, trust the all-encompassing love of God that surrounds you, Know that nothing, in the words of the Apostle Paul, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. When you confess honestly and receive forgiveness, you're staking your reputation and your relationships, And your life on that promise. And God is good for it. Now, every week in this series, we have been offered an integrating practice, which is a way of, like, getting boots on the ground, right, and and working this stuff out in our real life. So um, it's not going to be a big surprise what uh, this week's integrating practice is. I'm going to invite you to practice confession. <clears throat> it's hard for us to confess. It's hard to come to someone that we've wronged. And so I want to I give a couple of suggestions or tips for making an honest confession. Okay, here are the tips. Uh, first of all, if you're going to confess to somebody, you have to express remorse. You need to use the words, I apologize or I'm sorry. And you have to work hard because this is hard. You have to try not to sidestep it by saying something like, I should really apologize to you. Right? That's not quite the same. That's like making a statement about what you should do instead of actually doing it. So you have to try not to sidestep it. Just say it straight. I am so sorry. And then you have to admit responsibility, which means to clearly state what you did and to show that you see the consequences of your actions. We have to resist making excuses or explaining why, because even if it's true, it cheapens the confession because it feels like shifting the blame to something else. Do you know what I mean? So... Here's what we might normally say, right? Like I can imagine someone saying, look, I was really busy when you called and asked me to pick you up, and the kids were screaming, and so I just, I lost my temper and I snapped at you. That's true. It's just, it's shifting the blame onto busyness and kids and all that stuff. Instead of saying that, we're just going to try to say, I'm sorry I lost my temper when you asked me to pick you up. And then here's how you show you know what it did. It must have hurt your feelings. And I know it's made things awkward between us. And that's really effective. And then what you're going to do is make amends, right? If you lost something, replace it. If you canceled plans, reschedule them. If you don't know what you can do to make it right, ask Is there anything I can do to make this right between us? And then, The fourth tip is to try to show change. Try to demonstrate or show or explain how you're going to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because no one, I mean, I really understand that nobody's perfect. You can't guarantee this. But it matters that you're taking steps, right? It it matters. And the confession or the apology kind of gets cheapened if you're just going to keep doing the same thing next time. And then finally, ask for forgiveness. So you've done all the steps, right? I'm sorry I lost my temper. I know it hurt your feelings. I'd like us to have dinner tonight so that we can reconnect and make things right. And I am really going to work on keeping my temper under control. Now, it's really important that you actually say, would you forgive me? And that is really hard. You'll want to sidestep that again. Oh, I need to ask your forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Then do it. Would you forgive me? It's so hard because it feels so vulnerable. You're you're offering control of that interaction to the other person. They get to say yes or no. Sometimes they're not ready right away. They need some time. But it's important to ask for it and receive it when it's given because that's when we're practicing this central part of our faith, extending forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, just like Jesus offered us. So our integrating practice this week, you might walk right up and sit down with somebody that you've wronged and say, I need to tell you something. But if that feels like you've got to practice a little bit first, here's what I really want to challenge you to do. Find a trusted friend, someone you trust, a mentor maybe, And ask them if they would hear your confession. Now, you're not going to do a laundry list of all of the things you've done wrong in your whole life. That takes too long and nobody wants to know. But there might be some things. I mean, the Lord does. Okay. Um, There might be some things that have been really weighing on you for a while. Or there might be some things that have happened recently. You want to clear that up. There might be recurring patterns. So choose some things that you want to talk about and ask someone you trust if they would hear your confession and speak God's forgiveness to you. Confession sounds so simple, but it is very hard for us to do. And yet when we make a choice, when we decide to get honest and confess, both to God and to the people around us, a whole world of freedom and safety opens up. We're more free to be ourselves. We're more free to accept others. We're more free to be okay with imperfection and mistakes. Uh, John Newton, who is the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he said, this this is very famous, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. And that's what confession reminds us of every day. Well, we're going to end our time together this morning with some corporate or communal confession. And you don't have to worry because I'm not going to ask anybody to... Um, share their darkest secrets out loud. It's not like that. But throughout the history of the church, believers have often engaged in liturgical or written scripted confession. And we do that together when we celebrate communion. And we're going to do it together today. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And they're going to lead us in a song of reflection. And then I'll come and lead us in uh, our time of confession. While you listen to this song, or will you sing it along with them, I want you to consider what you might like to bring before the Lord in your heart today. Okay? Oh no. Well, we are going to come to a time of confession, and uh, the the part that you'll say will come up on the screen, and it will come up uh, right and left side, so we'll use your right and left. So this will be the right over here, and this will be the left on this side, all right, just so that you know when you see it. Would you like to stand with me, if you can? Friends, when we let envy, greed, resentment, lust, and selfishness eat away at us, we can be destroyed. And so I call you now with me to admit our wrongs before God, knowing that such confession is essential to the health of our souls. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, We dare to approach God with confidence. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. I ask you to join with me in an act of courage as we confess our sins and invite the searchlight of God's love to probe into the darkest places of ourselves and our world. Let's confess our sin and admit what we are. We are impatient and bored. We are often undisciplined, irresponsible. Yes, Jesus, that's the way it is. Yes, Jesus, that's the way it is. Yes, Jesus, that's the way it is. Let's say these words together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may truly love you and worthily praise your holy name, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Hear the good news. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus said, There is joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God says in so many ways, There is nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. And so I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen.